Welcome to Being in Practice. I'm Erin Davis. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a therapist. I'm Danny Dwyer-Willingham. I use they, she pronouns, and I'm a quantum somatic coach. And we're a couple of queer, neurodivergent, multi-passionates here to get curious and unpack elements of collective and individual experiences through our intuitive, trauma-informed lenses. We're both practitioners and people in our own constant discovery, here to provide education, entertainment, and exploration on the practice of being as messy and as multidimensional as it can be. Let's Let's be in practice practice together. together. Welcome back to Being in Practice podcast. Erin and I are so excited for our guest today, my dear friend and absolutely amazing human being, Honey Marie. Hi, Honey. Hi. Welcome. So I'm just going to give Honey's intro so that our guests can get a sense of who you are, why you're here, and what we're talking about today, which is body image and embodiment, which is a topic I know we are all so passionate about, you know, bringing like conscious conversations around that to the world. So our amazing guest, Honey, is your favorite two femme to function queer artist using the body to tell her stories. Honey's voice, rebellion, healing, and joy is woven together in movement. Her work explores what it's like to exist in a world of violence, oppression, and heartbreak. This work is her opportunity to share these authentic stories with the world to create a space for collective healing and emotional processing. She knows that letting your body tell its stories is the most beautiful and radical act of self-love. Honey has studied ballet and modern dance since she could walk, so dissociating from the body has never been an option. Honey is a performer, choreographer, dancer, and embodiment coach. Honey's coaching encourages clients to embrace their anger and grief. She helps them find these stories buried within the body through intuitive movement coaching. She is also creating a dance work, exploring the raw representation of the grieving body, moving through space, and telling its story. She's also one-fourth of a queer artist collective, and their current working title is We Are the Interrupters. So what a human, what an intro. Welcome, honey. Thanks. That is a good intro. I was like, wow, I just wrote that and sort of walked away from it. You did. That was great. It's a great intro. I mean, you have a lot to bring to the table and especially a lot to bring to this conversation. So... Yeah. So body image and embodiment. We're talking about this, you know, through the trauma informed lens of like how our bodies move through the world, how we are taught from very young ages, even like as soon as we come into this world, that like being in our bodies is weird and unsafe and you have to do this and you have to do that. And embodiment is something that a lot of people don't even really understand how to grasp, like what actually feeling safe and comfortable in your own skin could even feel like. So this is your work. This is your life's work. You've been a dancer your whole life. You are a movement and embodiment coach. What are some of the first things that you'd like to share now that, you know, this conversation has started? (laughs) Um, I mean, there, there's like so much, right? So, um, like, as you were talking, I was like, wait, it's been a minute since I've looked up the definition of embodiment. And I absolutely did it. Um, I love definitions. Um, I use them a lot in my work as like a performer choreographer. And also like when working with, um, clients too, if they like bring up a word that's like 
hmm, I feel like I have a different definition of that word than you do. And like, we'll kind of look it up and go through that. Um, but like, right, embodiment is exactly like what I love to do and what like telling your body story is. Um, it's the representation or expression of something tangible or in like a visible form, right? So it's like this thing, our body that is a visible form, it's tangible. Like we can touch the whole thing. Mm. Everything that's going on inside, you can touch it. You probably shouldn't, like you can't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, when people, t- that's like its own thing. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll circle back to that one. Yeah. Uh, but like, right, these stories that can like exist in there that like your body can just hide. Um, for me, I really, through like a lot of therapy, but also just like in my own growing up and realizing like what's going on, um, that like, your body will like take this little thing that's happened, whether it's joy, whether it's fear, whatever it might be. And it'll just like put it in a joint somewhere, Mm -hmm. like in a little like hidey hole. Um, And so folks like bodies that um, are perceived and treated as women in this world, like our hips um, and anyone who's like grown up right in a, as a woman, you're assigned female at birth, right? Like hips are a really big place that hides a lot of stuff. Um, I currently am like going through something where my chiropractor is fully like, there is like space in here. Like it's not, I don't think it's structural, but like the difference in my ability to like flex, the flexibility from one hip to the other is like, I mean, it's like this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, um, So like Danny's seen it before in real time. (laughs) It's fucking wild. Um, but it is fully just like trauma. Like it's just this like fear that's there. Mm -hmm. Um, so like getting into it always takes a minute, but like every time I get to feel like just a little bit more space of like some story that like, I am slowly just like letting go of, and it's probably multiple. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. And just like sitting in those, right. Like, so if you're in a deep stretch and you're just like leaning into it, Um, I know I've cried or laughed, um, or like felt weird things happen in my brain Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I don't really know what's going on, but I, I don't feel the same as I did a minute ago. And that is just because like your body is releasing this, like this hold that it's had on, on something that's, that's in there. And so for me being able to express that through motion, right? Like we talk with our hands. We talk with our whole body. Like I am like this all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think even people that don't do that often still use their face. They you you know, or like using face muscles. It's all connected. And the way that we are encouraged to just completely put our body here and the rest of ourselves over here is like bonkers to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy. Like I get, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Like we are our own entirely interwoven experience. And then there, but societally, there is this complete delineation between head, heart, gut, the rest of the body, like doesn't even really exist. It's like, but what you were talking about, I mean, so much of the work that I do is like allowing people to kind of move through their bodies and like feel what those things are that are stored and then either energetically or somatically like helping them notice what they are and helping them release those things because our experiences are are coded into our bodies and I think also like through 
trauma and part of the beautiful thing about our bodies and about our brain's ability to dissociate is that it keeps us safe, right? So during trauma, when things happen that are stored in our bodies, our heads go, boop, okay, we're cutting that out. Like we don't want to feel that anymore, but our bodies remember whether we want them to or not. And I think that integration process of like understanding that you'd never have to like relive a trauma to heal it. And also it is still in our bodies. So like we've, we've got to like work that through so that our brains and our nervous systems can like feel safe to be in our bodies again is like, I mean, that's the big work, right? That's like why I feel like embodiment as a word can feel so out of reach for so many people. Right. Um, I guess like a first question that I would have for you in that sense is like when you're working with someone and I know even in your intro, you said like dissociating from your body was never really an option. I imagine and I assume because I am someone who's experienced massive dissociation my whole life up until, you know, after 11 years of therapy, it's better. Um, But I assume you work with many clients that do experience like a a disconnection from their physical experience and their heart experience and their mind experience. Like what's like the place that you would start helping those kinds of people. Um, and for our audience, like if, if embodiment feels so out of the realm of possibility, like where do you start with someone? Um, I, I really love this question because it's like, I have an answer and then I also don't mm-hmm. for like half of the, like, mm-hmm. I guess like the, the reasoning that I start where I do. Um, so yeah, our, like our work runs so like parallel, right? Like mine's so focused on kind of this specific experience that we all have because I love anger. I think she's amazing. She's just like my special bitch, like shout out to her. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when, when used appropriately, I'm also like a Scorpio in Mars. So we love each other. Um, and grief is like part of that, I think for sure. And at least for my experience of grieving it, um, anger is like, she's up there, um, beyond just the normal stages of it all. But for me, I actually really like starting with someone, um, rolling through the spine to Mm. sort of just like hang over your hips while standing. Um, if they're not someone who stands, like you can, you can still do that. Um, you can literally, if you have the mobility in your spine, you can do that. And so no matter what the limitations of that might be, like, even if it's just, you know, this, or even if the neck can't really do, you know, like whatever version of that we can figure out, um, because to have somebody feel what it's like to so slowly go like one vertebra at a time, like for real Mm. is it's like life-changing. And I don't think I actually experienced it until college. Mm. Um, I went to school for dance (laughs) and, and like the, the experiences that you have when you go to college for dance is just like, again, mind blowing and like really (laughs) wild. Um, because they actually ask you to tune in much more to your body, right? Mm. Like there are, there are ways that you can't disassociate when you're young, but also I feel like, I mean, I do feel like maybe I lied a little bit. Like, I think I disassociate from experiences my body was having, but like Mm -hmm. not the body fully, right? But -hmm. in college, they're like encouraging you to fully feel it. And um, one of my teachers was like, we would always warm up with this method of just like very slowly, like the first roll down the spine would take almost a full minute. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you would just like go, you know, super slow and like stop if it felt tight or like it felt good to kind of be in this one 
you know, position. And then, and then you kind of go faster to where you're just kind of like going up and down. And it's this really great way to like get lost in that feeling. Mm. So it's almost like you're disassociating from your brain Mm. Um, and just kind of feeling what it's like to have this rush of movement, right? How often do we sort of put our heads upside down and like back up and that feels good? Well, it's funny because, so I have POTS, which is like postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and I actually can't do that. <laughs> so okay. I, can, I can go down very slowly and I can come up very slowly, but that's like, I, if I go fast, I will literally pass out. So yep. I think also, I mean, so much of like our work is about accessible movement, accessible yep. somatic, you know, embodiment practices. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's funny just to be like, that is something that, you know, I love that you get to do that. And also something that I can't do at this time in my life. I will never say never, you know, um, but, but like, so, oh, yeah. And this is all like, I think the experience of being in different types of bodies is what makes it so individual and also what makes it so collective. Like we're all in bodies, no matter how they show up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's um, why I love being a dancer so fucking much and why, I don't know if you've heard this soapbox, Danny, but like my soapbox <laughs> as a dancer in an intelligent dancing body, which everyone fucking has, um, whether or not you use it, is that like people are like, I don't know. I can't comment on it. Like it's, I don't really know dance. I don't know. And it's like, did you fucking see it? Did you, do you have a body? Like, do you imagine what that might be like? Did you feel anything? Mm-hmm. You can comment on it. Like you saw it. You can comment on it. You mm-hmm. are smarter than that. Get mm-hmm. your shit together. Let's have this conversation. Right? Um, <laughs> I'm usually nicer than that. Well, no, I'm not. But um, I try to be. <laughs> but, like, but it's this thing that I think people are really terrified of, right? Of like being in their body. And it's where like, you know, like I can perform this thing on stage and it be about one thing and an audience member has a completely separate experience. Um, and they, they get something completely different about out from it. And I think that happens in every art form. And I love that so much. Um, but the way that we are taught to treat and like live with our bodies does not allow for people to feel like they can have that experience. Mm. Um, which is why my goal is always to like, Like, I feel like my work, especially currently is really like create that container, right. For like people to actually see a grieving body and like go through that process with said body Mm -hmm. and then like have their own, you know, they get to have their own experience Yeah, or or not, you can check out whatever. (laughs) I'm curious because you're the only one of us here who, and I'm pointing at Aaron for those who can't see, um, as a therapist, what is it like in your practice working with people, you know, from like the clinical psychological perspective of things? Like, do you find that people bring their bodies into the conversation? Is that something that you, you know, I also, especially doing integration mm-hmm. therapy, like what is that? How does that show up in your practice? Yeah, it's funny, actually, because this, this has been like a big topic this week. Hmm. Um, it's funny how that happens. But like so many of your clients, like, I feel like I have the same conversation each week, multiple times mm-hmm. because it's relevant to everyone and mm-hmm. it's relevant to me. It's like, anyway, it's wild being a therapist. Collective um, consciousness. 
Um, so this has been something that we've been talking about that I've been talking about with clients this week. And it partially has come up, I think, because every time I read or read something new here, podcast I'm reading, have you guys read The Mountain Is You? Mm -mm. Oh, it's mm. really interesting. The subtitle is like how to go from self-sabotage to self-mastery. Mm. Um, but I just read, it was one of the last chapters in the book, um, just got through it. It was talking about how essentially this author was saying, you know, in childhood, we often aren't told how to feel our feelings. Mm -hmm. We can't, we don't embody, <laughs> we aren't taught that it's safe to do it. We aren't taught how to safely do it mm -hmm. from a young age. So what most of us do, because we aren't taught it, and then often we also many of us have wounds, if not trauma from childhood, from parents, family, school, whatever, that we, we go into our heads yep. as a coping skill yep. um, in childhood, because we, without knowing how to do the body feeling things safely, our only real recourse is to go into, I like how she put that, like we go into our heads as a coping skill, mm -hmm. thinking is a coping skill, we let yep. that be the master of our our guiding posts, our master of our lives. Because it's safe. Because it's safe. Yeah. yeah. And so we, <laughs> we go on through life for some amount of time doing that. But, it, you know, it it is just a bit of, I mean, it's not madness and she doesn't say that, but it is like not the best. <laughs> I mean, and so this came up with clients this week where, and it's come up with other clients in other ways, not just this week, but how how can we get back to feeling things in our bodies mm -hmm. and um I do talk often about that I have a little mantra I use with them too it's um it's safe to it's safe to blank in my body and mm -hmm. that's how I get people to go back into their bodies and mm -hmm. sometimes it's a thought sometimes it's a physical you can fill in the blank with a physical sensation a negative thought um an emotion word um mm -hmm. It's safe to, right? It's safe for my tight to be chest in my body. It's safe for me to hate myself in my body. It's safe for me to be anxious in my body, like whatever it is. And I just like roll through it with them. Mm -hmm. And like, if I know the client really well, this week I did it actually with my teenager where I just like, I know her pretty well. So I kept saying things that I knew she needed to feel mm -hmm. or that we've been working mm -hmm. on her feeling, I should say. And she started crying and mm -hmm. it was, I think, a really useful thing. Oh, crying is so amazing i love crying as release i have a similar um thing that i say to myself that came up a few maybe like four or five years ago when i started doing emdr therapy mm. um which is a really beautiful way to i think start practicing embodiment um if you can find like a safe and ethical emdr therapist but i say like in and i do it with like motion so that it's like a somatic mm. practice for me as i say like in my body, I am safe. In my heart, I am home. And I just like hold myself here. And then it can like go into like a self-regulating hug or like whatever I need. Mm -hmm. But I think just even that, like I have felt so unsafe in my body for, for my whole life. And just like, and you can even say it using your name, like Danny, you are safe. You are home in your body. Like I think talking to ourselves, like we are in care of ourselves can be such a beautiful practice in just like helping us go from that coping skill and that safety that mm -hmm. our minds per perceived safety that mm -hmm. our minds mm -hmm. give us, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. into actually like interoception, which is like understanding what our bodies are feeling and what that means in our experience of like moving through with yeah. like life with our bodies and emotions with our bodies. Um, so I know so much of like, what we also want to bring to this conversation today is talking about like people with disabilities, people with, you know, different accessible needs, people that have experienced, I think, 
all of us have experienced recovery from, you know, disordered eating from, Mm -hmm. you know, really self-harming ways of like living with and coping with the bodies that, you know, we were given in this life. And Mm -hmm. I feel like just, I'm just kind of wanting to like veer this conversation in that direction so that we can, I don't know, as people who have, you know, been in recovery and experience, I mean, honey, you can share or not about your experience of like, you know, your medical experience that you've had. And like, you know, I have my own medical disability that I, that I live with. And I think it's like disabilities can look so many ways. And also um, they can really change the way that we perceive our bodies in any direction. And also, you know, I think meeting needs as people with bodies can can be like such a tough thing to do anyways, but especially when it's colored with dysmorphia or with, you know, disordered eating or even just the like societal din of like, you have to look a certain way or or be a certain way, you know, to yeah. be like accepted in, in your body. So mm. let's start there. That's huge, Danny. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just Lightly ha- just talked. Oh my God. I had to take it there. I'm sorry. I love it. No, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I literally can't even tell you how many thoughts like have been in my head uh, in that last moment. Like, first of all, crying. Amazing. I actually, part of um, one of the things that I'll do with people is stretching as crying. Mm. Because I feel like crying is like this emotional stretch that you get to do. And I also, because I am someone that tends to cry or laugh, like kind of manically, like I laugh in a way that I'm like, what the fuck is happening to me right now? Me too. Um, it's like, it always like kind of scares me a little bit when I laugh during stretching. Cause it's like, I become like, I don't know, the Joker or something, but um, like, it's, it's a laugh I never hear. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I love this idea of like, stretching as like giving your body that that like permission to cry right and then sometimes actual tears come but it it really is this way of just like opening up so that you can really release and it opens up the like as I like to call it like the fascia or the pores so that like that stuff that's so deep and like hidden in there can like get out um especially the rib cage no one ever stretches like the side here Mm. it's a lot um, so that came up like while you were talking, but also oh, the medical shit, um, because I think also, right. As queer people, we have these ideas of what our bodies need to look like. We have dysphoria, we have dysmorphia, um, so much. And then when you add like disability and chronic illness on top of it, like, holy shit, what do we like, what do we do with that? And then also yeah. the fact that people are able to disassociate from all of that at once is really wild to me too. Um, and again, it's always this, I, I dare to dream about disassociating from my body sometimes. <laughs> Not so much anymore, but um, previously, because I don't know if Aaron knows this, but um, I, first of all, I've had a liver transplant. I was born with a really um, rare and kind of wild liver disease that like, I don't know, one of the real housewives of New York City, her son had it too, <laughs> <laughs> which I was like, amazing. Um, but it it's something that when I was born, transplants weren't really a thing. Um, it was the like mid eighties. So I think kidney transplants were just starting to be like, okay, from like dicey to okay. <laughs> Um, and so liver transplants were really, um, scary and rarely took, especially in babies. So I had to like live with this thing, 
um, they did a procedure that like no one does anymore. Mm. <laughs> like be like going to the doctor for five years was really wild because they'd be like, yeah, no, like we don't like people that take care of adults don't learn about what you have. <laughs> like, we just don't. It's only pediatrics that like learns about it's called biliary atresia. So I was born mm. without bile ducts, mm. which if, you know, for people that don't know, they're essential. Um, yeah. Your liver is like the one organ that medical science has yet to sort of replicate mm. in a real way. Um, so, yeah. And so then it just, that surgery, like the, the bile ducts that they created just kind of were like, we're done. It's been real. <laughs> Um, and so having to go through the, like, so like most of my life, I kind of just existed. I had like meds, I went to checkups, but like nothing was really like wrong. Um, I didn't even see myself as someone with a chronic illness for a long time. And, um, you know, I just was a dancer with a lot of other body issues <laughs> mm. and, uh, and then having this like sudden, just trying to stay alive and trying mm. to like figure all of that out. And, and through that process, losing a lot of my mobility, um, I got very swollen. My body couldn't really do a lot of things anymore. And so, um, I think that was maybe the one time that I got like almost to disassociating and it's a lot, yeah. <laughs> like, like even thinking back on it and like remembering the times that I sort of just like tried to move through my day without thinking too much about what was going on in my body is like, heartbreaking in a way um that i i wish that we thought about it that way right like the way that we talk about i think mental illness now and like it's so heartbreaking that people just like try to function and don't talk about what's going on with them right or don't mm -hmm. seek support mm -hmm. i really wish that we talked more about our bodies doing that too i think we're getting there but um just the way that um that sort of like, I think about the ways that I was treated also, mm -hmm. um, and just like people seeing me because you couldn't totally tell, but also like I was yellow. So if you knew anything about that, people were like, hmm. um, I don't know if you know, but like your skin is very yellow. Are you okay? And it's like, yeah, I do. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So your body went into kind of like from being like pretty stable into like more of like a medical emergency situation that then led you to a liver yeah. transplant. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like five years of like an emergency, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And being able to, I think like the, the thing about that is, and I feel like anyone else with like, um, who sort of lives in medical emergency would probably agree like the embodiment piece of it is um it immediately takes on this like completely different sort of um function yeah and even like process right because like it's almost like you can't even embody anything else you just have to embody like all right what do i do to get through this day mm, in the yeah. body wow. um and it's it's scary and it's wild and it's like I think going through that was the first time I sort of like really understood why people probably disassociate in their bodies or from their body. Mm. Um, Cause yeah, my disassociation is always in, into my body. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, like I'll just be like, wow, my, my knee hurts. Cool. Like if someone's talking and I don't like what they're saying, I'm just like, 
right? Like, what can I, what can I move around right now? Um, and, and yeah, I think, uh, I don't even know where I'm going with that, but I think the, the things that our bodies go through, whether or not we deal with disability or chronic illness, right. Um, or how you, how commonplace it is for us, right. Like whatever our normal is, mm-hmm. um, the sort of, I don't, it's like, I don't even have words for it and I exist in this. Right. But like this inability to have a language for it is kind of, um, a bummer. I mean, I think it's because a lot of people aren't talking about the experience of the amount of grief that comes from like thinking you live in a certain type of body to realizing you live in a different kind of body the grief that comes with realizing like a lot of the limitations that are imposed on you societally or, or medically when you realize like, you know, what came with my diagnosis was realizing that like I spent, cause I wasn't diagnosed with EDS, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome until I was 30. So I spent the first 30 years of my life thinking I lived in a typical body pushing myself well beyond my limit, getting shamed Mm -hmm. for like not being able to like run a mile and having no idea why I couldn't. And then realizing that I had this medical disability that like my body doesn't actually function like other bodies and why I've been in so much pain my whole life that I like thought was normal. I just thought everyone was in pain as much as I was all the time and having so much grief that like I wasn't able to be gentle with myself through my whole life, like, and instead treated my body like garbage. Mm -hmm. I, you know, had an eating disorder. I did lots of drugs. I did, I had lots of substance abuse issues because I was chronically self-medicating because I was in so much pain physically and emotionally. And then it was like, okay, well now I quote unquote, can't do a lot of the things that like I used to love doing like riding horses because I can't risk injury because my body doesn't heal in the way other bodies heal, you know? And there's like so much grief of like all of these things, but I think only in feeling that grief and only kind of like putting words to that experience now allows me to be like, even though I can't do some things that like, I think I would love to do like ski, I can live in the body that I have in like the most beautiful ways that are accessible to me, you know, and like finding out what that is for me has created such a beautiful like path forward of like, what is possible? How do I live in this body in an embodied and safe way? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, even with all of these other quote unquote, like influences of like how I can live my life. But I think it's like, something not a lot of people talk about when we're like, especially in queer bodies too, like being non-binary, being like perceived certain genders, like having gender dysmorphia, all of those things or dysphoria. Um, I think it's only just starting to be talked about in a way that like people can really grasp. grasp. So I think like putting language to these things is kind of like newer, (laughs) you know, newer in these ways. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. And, and after transplant, right. Well, and like through while waiting for it, hmm. that's a whole thing. Hmm. I could like go on a fucking tangent about that, but cause like, sorry, how long ago was this for you? Uh, I started getting sick. Like it happened for like five years. So like mm-hmm. for five years, I was kind of like sick waiting for liver sort of thing. Um, it was 20, Maybe it was longer. No, it was like 2014, 2015. 
that like it kind of started and I had my transplant. Oh, thank, thank Baba Yaga. Uh, I had my transplant very beginning of February um, and was home by the time that shit hit. Of 2020. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was tough. You know, anyway, um, all that was really tough because I had to sort of be in my body stuck at home for a while anyway after a transplant because they're like don't go anywhere um because yeah. you can get really sick really quick uh you're on a lot of wild meds um yeah I, um and then also realizing that like not even realizing I'd known it forever um but really being like I'm doing this um and wanting to get a breast reduction mm. um as like part of my gender dysmorphia like as a cis queer woman um it is, it was a huge thing for me, um, being able to have that done. And honestly, that's kind of what prompted me being like, all right, let's deal with my liver <laughs> mm. for better, for worse. Um, I really grieved losing my, my liver, um, because in Chinese medicine, it's like your anger. Oh, wow. Interesting. It's like known for processing anger. And I think mm -hmm. because it processes like toxins in your body. Right. And like a lot of people see anger as toxic. And so it kind of like, I've reckoned with that a little bit in this way of like, I still see that. And I love that. I love that my liver does that, but also I don't really see, um, anger as just toxic, right? Like it's mm -hmm. not just this thing that needs to be filtered out. It's a thing that can be like actually recycled. Um, so I kind of have started thinking of it in that way, mm. that, like, my my liver system can kind of like recycle it mm -hmm. um, and use it for for good interesting yeah I love yeah that. um because anger is motivating right like it it definitely was uh like when I thought about it and and I um I actually found it a really amazing therapist um kind of as I was getting sick and like she helped guide me through all of that um mm -hmm. And I had been to therapy, therapy before, but it was like really that moment where I was like, I am grieving a lot. Um, I had lost some really significant people um, in my life and then all this like liver shit. And I was like, if I grieve, will I cure myself? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think that sometimes is like one of those like delusional downfalls of embodiment though too is you're like mm -hmm. if I'm just like, happy I can cure anything <laughs> and that's not true <laughs> yeah yeah I think we're all looking or it's easy to fall into the trap anyway of looking for you know like for me it was like oh ayahuasca I had this ayahuasca experience and it like changed a lot for me and yeah. for a long time I was like and you know with a grain of salt in that moment, it was true for me, but it, my belief was like this huge thing inside of me got healed. Mm -hmm. and I don't even have words for what that was, but then I left that experience being like, I don't know what else in the whole world could be wrong. If this thing that has been like tormenting me for years or whatever it was like, right. It's the same idea, right? Like if I can just feel enough, if I can be in my body enough, mm, then everything what else be could okay. be wrong. Yeah. Like, it's a really similar, like, we're, I feel like that's a, that's a universal experience right there, right? Mm -hmm. Universal delusion. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's like those toxic coaching things, right? Of like, just change your money mindset, mindset. And it's like, mm, no, like, I feel like the one that got me the most and like, especially when I was struggling with like massive clinical depression was like, happiness is a choice. And I was like, well, 
if it was twice, I wouldn't be here, you know, unable to move for days at a time. Yeah. Like, and I feel like that's, I mean, but, but those are the things that we're fed and we're also fed like, well, your body's supposed to be able to do this and your body's supposed to look like this. And, you know, I, I think disrupting all of this toxic messaging that we receive for forever, especially as queer people, especially as chronically ill and disabled people, especially like, I mean, as femme-bodied people, like, I mean, everyone deserves freedom from that shit, but like, there's yeah. so much gatekeeper in embodies in every yes. facet yeah. of being, whether you're straight or not, or sister or not, or yeah. whatever. Like, we haven't even gone to like the trans. To- absolutely right so like this idea of my breast reduction as like gender affirming surgery it absolutely is my fucking facials that i get every month are gender affirming like Mm -hmm. hair let's all be real about it like Mm -hmm. everyone deserves gender affirming care people like cis women who get boob jobs and botox like that's that's gender gender affirming affirming care. absolutely everyone deserves it especially trans. not i mean especially trans people y'all i mean we have to say I it think and i think especially. especially because we 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 have this uh we have this language we have this discussion we have this um acceptance feels like a bad word but for lack of a better word right now like this or understanding even or empathy for cis women cis men who want to get these procedures that like give us bigger boobs and bigger dicks like what like well, i just saw i just saw that was an un- i just saw reaction. that's okay it's fine <laughs> <laughs> like but it's my guy that got he just got his height changed he had surgical procedure to go from five eight to six foot like yeah cis man yeah, yeah it's like a thing that can happen now yeah. and it's and we we allow these things or like society right like capitalism mm-hmm. allows these things to be readily available for cis folks if they accepted have the right. to available and, and like accepted. it's fine and actually even praised and like, promoted yeah and now that yeah anyway yeah mm-hmm. right. and was- that's why i say like empathy right because it's like we we get it we can say like yes absolutely mm-hmm. um and just and all like i understand why people would want bigger i mean like i don't really understand why people would want bigger boobs because like i had them and it sucks like zero out of 20 would never recommend mm-hmm. like negative 20 out of 20. Like, but, uh, I, I also get it because I wanted mine to be small. So fucking yeah. bad. Um, and Danny's heard this where I like, I measured them finally. And I was like, I am a C cup and that is unacceptable. Like after your reduction. Yeah, I mean, like, I yeah. love, love them. <laughs> I don't want to change anything, but I was just like, motherfucker, how am I? C-? That's funny. Um, yeah, I thought they were smaller, but whatever but um but like it's just these these things right where we we have this empathy through patriarchy through capitalism through white supremacy for all of this all of these procedures for bodies Mm -hmm. to look a certain way um that that like for better or for worse right like we've set up this society where we have these standards i've talked about this a lot with my therapist where i was like one thing that i love about getting my breast reduction is that my body looks smaller can't help it. Like mm-hmm. it looks smaller, but it also feels like I am so much more comfortable in this body. Um, I feel like Danny can probably say that. I don't know if you've fully seen it, but I feel like you saw me enough pre maybe, mm-hmm. but like, it's so real. It's yeah. something that on its face is kind of small. I think of in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. but it like has made such a huge impact in like my own mental health, my, um, 
ability to move through the world and to actually take up more space. Mm -hmm. That's cool. It's bringing up for me, though, like also this fine line of like what is like that was affirming for you and such a liberating experience for you, like gender transitioning, like medical transitioning can be so affirming for people. And it can also be very like inaccessible for people. And it can also like be driven by things that are not, you know, like I'm not saying gender affirming care, but the ways that we feel comfortable in our bodies can either be like, because we've been fed that like our bodies aren't enough, or it can actually be because we need that affirming care to actually experience life in the ways that like best serve us. So it is, I, and I think I would encourage anyone grappling with any sort of, you know, body alteration, gender affirming care, like to seek support, to seek therapy, because I think it is important to process like exactly that question. Like, is it okay for me to want to like look smaller? What does that actually mean for me? Like, and also like, this still feels amazing. So like, who, who are we to say that no, like that everyone shouldn't get to experience their bodies in the ways that they want, you know? Mm -hmm. See, that's the thing. Like, I feel like it's fully okay to have that conversation and admit like, yeah, this was driven by like the vanity and the should of Mm. what my body should look like. I grew up in the ballet world. Of course I've wanted to look like this forever. Duh. Like, (laughs) you know, um, but, but also like, it makes so much sense, right? That this is something I've wanted forever. But when I strip that away a little bit, it's, I can still, because I've been able to be in my body enough, I can still see like that, oh, no, it's like, I actually feel bad. Like they don't feel mm-hmm. good. They feel like, like, honestly, they felt gross to mm-hmm. me. Like I never wanted, like, I was like, like with sexual partners, I was like, I mean, I don't know, I guess go off, but like, I'm not, this does nothing for me. Mm-hmm. If it does something for you, like fine. But I don't know. I would rather you just ignore them. And now it's completely different. Mm. And, and I, kind of came to that just because it happened like post op, you know, like it, it wasn't like, I was like, let's test run these or something, which I'm sure plenty of people would, would, but for me, I was just kind of like, I don't know, I guess it's still the same. And then realized like, oh, it's not. And, Mm -hmm. and so to, to watch that and like, I move differently now. Like I watch the way I dance pre liver surgery, even and then post liver surgery and then post breast reduction, they're all very different mm-hmm. bodies that I've been in. Yeah. And I can see it. I still move in really similar way. Like you can see the way that like my body chooses to move is really similar. Yeah, it's very like noodly and mm-hmm. weird. But uh, but like it looks very I don't know that it looks different to everybody, but to me, I can certainly see the difference. And I can see how um there's like I've like figured out the thing that teachers would yell at me for years and years and years of like less effort, like align yourself or whatever. And it's like in this new body, Mm. I'm able to do that. And like, I can't always name what that is, right? Like what that's done. But I know for a fact that it is like the medical procedures I've gone through. Mm. I know that it's both the liver transplant and the breast reduction. Like there's no way that it's not those. And so I think that like, you know, 
for me, it's like, yes, do those things. I don't really give a fuck why you're doing them. But like, I think if vanity is your motivator and you're going to spend that money, right. And you're going to go through that healing. Cause let me tell you the healing process blows. It fucking sucks. <laughs> Especially as someone who loves to move. Mm. I am like an Aquarius and I love moving. Um, I couldn't take baths forever. Mm. Tragic, <laughs> but like, do it because I can guarantee if vanity is going to motivate you that hard, there is something psychological that is also motivating you. There is something in your body that will help you be like more embodied in yourself. Mm. It's like and a you both will yeah, it's yeah, a absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like it can't. I mean, it would be a little bit ridiculous and and probably unreasonable to consider to like like for us or anyone to like be like, yes, they're doing it for the correct reason because there's zero amount of vanity right. in that. Like, of right. course, there's going to be vanity in it because that's a part of like wanting to change anything, mm -hmm. even if it is about also body. I always get them mixed up. Body dysphoria or morphia. Dysphoria. Yeah, I'm just doing top surgery myself. And yeah, I'm hopefully getting a surgery date pretty soon, actually. Mm. But um, yeah, Congrats. yeah, it's like a both and. It's for sure a both and. I mean, it's like we all think. deserve permission to do to our bodies what we want. And there's yep. always going to be nuance in the motivators, right? I mean, especially influencing like from queerness trauma, all the, all the, all the influencers that we have on our lives. And also like, regardless of the motivators, we all deserve to feel the best we possibly can, you know, in the mm -hmm. bodies that we're living mm -hmm. in. Yeah. Actually, and oh, go oh, ahead, go, yeah. no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to, to touch. I loved honey that you kind of said like your delineators are your, are your surgeries and you've lived in different versions of your body and you've experienced life in those different versions of your body. And I think that's like such a beautiful perspective to have is just like our bodies go through phases just like we do in our, you know, yeah. consciousness mm -hmm. like that. and mm -hmm. we're living in different bodies, like versions of our own bodies at all points of our lives. And I think surgery like, or not surgery or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whatever the, whatever the indicators are, the, the, you yeah. know, the change markers, the aging process, like, like, like and mm -hmm. yeah. Did you just say oh, aging? Yeah. Aging. I was just about to say that. Yeah. yeah. Like, our bodies change as we go, yeah. just like, and I think that's like embracing that rather than fighting that can be such a beautiful practice yeah. and also a very challenging practice in the ways that, you know, we're taught in this society. Because, um, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, but I feel like there's so, we're, now we're, honey, we yeah. have so much to well, say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last Sunday, I like sat in the park uh, with Rachel and like did this amazing, um, my partner and did this like, oh, we did this amazing work because they're helping, they're collaborating with me on this grief piece, but like, so like, right, aging is us decaying. Like, we can't escape that. We're decaying. Um, and it that to me is like so fucking beautiful. And that is where like, so for me, this grieving piece, um, I've like brought in a lot of like nature elements. Um, one of the things, Danny's heard the story again, probably millions of times, but like, I watched a, I watched vultures eating something when I went to Costa Rica last year. Mm -hmm. And it was, mm -hmm. oh, I love vultures so much. Mm -hmm. They're so incredible but um watching them eat was like i have multiple videos of it um that are kind of gross but i love them and it's like this this process that we try to like avoid and not talk about is actually like really fucking essential because if we don't decay the right way right like if we're not if it's not processed in the right way through like 
worms, a vulture, like whatever it is that needs to like, um, fungi, like mushrooms, right? Like if they're not doing their job, we are not going to be able to recycle that mm. matter. It's mm -hmm. going to mold. It's going to fester. It's going to get infected, right? Like all of that. Um, and it just is, it's like such an amazing thing. And that's why I like, I love grief and anger so much, right? Because like, yes, it can both, they can both be really toxic and bad for us, but they're not just this thing that we need to like get rid of and throw out like trash. They're like compost mm -hmm. because grief is never going to fucking go away. Like, yeah, keep Look grieving. We live in. We body are grief. surrounded by grief. Yeah. Learning how to safely and efficiently process grief is for me, one of my favorite ways to like learn how to live in my body. Oh my gosh, I love grief so much. Grief is right. Feeling. I've told this to my partner. I literally said this to Kendall like a week ago. I it's just so I am so present when I'm grieving. Yeah. It's the most present I ever am. And mm. it hurts so good and so yeah. bad. And I I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. Which love I mean, it. I think we've we could talk I think we should and will have an episode about just grief because it's such a that's coming up. Yeah. profound topic Definitely. and also something that like I know all of our work centers is like yeah. how, learning how to safely and efficiently process grief and trusting that we can process grief enough to then like feel whatever comes on the other side of that. <laughs> yeah. Because you got to feel it in your body. Grief yeah. just like sits in your body. Like I will say, when I reached out to my my therapist who helped me through like the grieving process and like <sighs> coming to terms with the fact that I was going to have to have a fucking transplant. Because mm -hmm. I mean, like it's a it's a process. I again, like negative zero out of ten or negative a hundred out of ten, like would never recommend. Um, because it, it's a lot and it's you got to do like a ton of shit anyway. Mm -hmm. Um grieving really did help some of the symptoms that I was feeling like it did actually help sort of like it helps me navigate through them right because then you have this amazing thing that's been composted right like my grief was composted into this ability to kind of like focus on what else was going on, right mm -hmm. like the fact that like my body was swelling up all the time I couldn't like just stand anymore my feet would be like three times their size if I stood all day like that mm -hmm that needed to be dealt with. And while I was like in this, like just holding pattern of grief, it couldn't happen. Um, and that is where I think we can, we conflate like healing with um, like solutions to body issues or whatever, you know. Definitely. Are there solutions? <laughs> I don't think so. Pathways. There are pathways. Pathways to healing yes. or in the direction of. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, do, I do believe uh, this is even on my website. Like I believe there is always a brave path forward, whether it's yeah. full of solutions or not. It's mm -hmm. going to be everyone's individual experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I like Listen, that. I work in the corporate world and I love myself a vision, mission, value statement. And I <laughs> call the vision the vision is like also that North Star, right? It's that like second star to the right straight on till morning. And like, you'll never reach it. But that's a, like, it's it's a thing you're never supposed to reach. Because hmm. once you reach it, like, what the fuck then? And our bodies will never reach like what maybe, I don't think that our bodies will ever reach like what we think of as their pinnacle. Even like athletes in their yeah. top performance are always like, I could do better, always 
we're yeah. reaching for something that like might never happen. And also, I think you also just brought in presence, like presence during grief. Yeah. But I think presence in our bodies mm -hmm. can help us like sati satiate a little bit that need to like always be better or always be different, just like yes. presence at the crux of the bodily experience. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it can be, you know, again, like we said, the path there or and beyond that is so different and going to be so different for everybody. But there is always going to be a path. And they're always, as you said earlier in the episode, honey, like, going into our bodies is always possible. Feeling those things is always possible, whether we think so at this moment in time or not. Yeah. I think yeah. we all need help knowing how to feel going mm -hmm. back to that as well. So mm -hmm. yes, it help. Yes. I think this will bring us to kind of honey. Is there anything else you would like to share and, or how can people find you? How can people work with you? How can people experience your embodiment magic? Uh, let's see. My website is currently not functioning because I'm revamping everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm on Instagram. Is it Which is, what's your handle? We'll share it in the Honey Marie PDX. Okay, that's a really good question. If you look <laughs> up Honey Marie in Portland, It'll Oregon, on the website, yeah, you can, you can reach Honey through the through the resources on our website and also yeah. through the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but my Instagram is really like the place to find me most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and my email is honeylafleur at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. Always hit me up. Uh, yeah, and then stay tuned for um, my grief piece. Oh, I have a Patreon. I keep forgetting about that. <laughs> and if you give a fuck about a dancer's process, come find me. It's linked on my Instagram. Yay. Perfect. Okay, everyone go find Honey on her Patreon and follow along for her beautiful grief work yeah yeah we mm. really appreciate you being here and sharing all of that yeah it was yeah, awesome bodies, bodies bodies and there's so much more i feel like we could so much more we could, as always in this show it seems there's always more that we will which is why we're gonna have 17 seasons no <laughs> you want a season two an update let me know oh we have the, the first three planned so mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. hell yeah, yeah. Thank you yeah. so much, honey, for sharing your experience and your beautiful perspective on body image and embodiment. Thanks for having me. This was yeah. great. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.